Hello and welcome to Epic Fails, Finding Redemption in Our Stories. I'm your host, Brittany Russ, and today we have two guests on the show that have powerful stories of redemption. Their testimony has so encouraged myself and many others, and I promise it's going to impact you. Today we are going to hear from Coleman and Kelly Tennis. They are currently faithful volunteers at Red Rocks Church, where I work, and every Sunday I watch as they welcome people to church with such joy and warmth. Today, their lives look much different than a year or two ago. There was a time, in fact, life looked the exact opposite of the healthy and thriving people they are today. Let's get to know their story a bit better. Coleman and Kelly, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for, for having, having us. us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kelly, why don't you tell me a bit about your upbringing? Um, well, I uh, grew up in a, um, a, a with a good family. My parents are still married today. Um, I have two sisters. Um, and uh, we just, you know, we middle class family. Um, I was really good in school. Um, graduated top of my class in, in high school, um, went to college and, uh, ended up getting a degree in nursing and, um, yeah, my family was really close. We have a big Italian family, um, always had Italian dinners and just constantly around family, mm-hmm. but it was, it was a really good family life. Um, uh, I never really was in any kind of trouble or, or anything. I was always a really good student and just, uh. The funny kid of the family, I guess, the jokester, mm-hmm. they call me. So, What felt missing in your life that made you feel like you should try a different path? Um, well, I did have, um, my dad was an alcoholic, um, and my family kept that a secret, um, so that was kind of an issue. So I think that from an early age, we were taught to always present ourselves as being this really happy family but behind closed doors like my my dad was an alcoholic and we were kind of you know dysfunctional because we were told don't tell him about this or don't tell this you know we're just going to keep this in the family and um my mom would tell me stuff to not tell my dad and my dad would tell me stuff to not tell my mom and so like I learned um how to keep secrets and how to lie and um I always felt like this missing piece inside of me because I felt like uh, I was always um, keeping stuff from someone, and so I just felt like kind of the lost, um, the lost child. And so I would I would bring out humor and laughter to kind of cover the defense of being depressed and mm-hmm. and feeling the um, just like I didn't belong. Mm-hmm. So why didn't you talk a little bit about um, after you left your parents' house and kind of that journey? Sure. Of your marriage. So, yeah, I went to, um, after, I, I was dating a guy all through high school. And um, my first year of college, um, I ended up getting pregnant. And so um, my parents, being like the Italian Catholic, they're like, oh, no, you're getting married. Um, plan a marriage, a uh, wedding within like a month. Um, mm-hmm. And got married to the guy. And uh, we ended up having a, a daughter. Um, I stayed married to him for 10 years. Um, 
I finished my nursing in college and everything. We had another son, so we had two kids together. And uh, but I never was really happy. Like we didn't have any, we didn't have God in our lives at all. I wasn't happy. Um, I was working for um, a urologist and then for a urology cl- like clinic through all throughout uh, Colorado, and started living like a single life, um, even though I was married. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I was so much cheating on him, but I, I might as well have been because I was going out after work and drinking with these doctors and um, and and just living a secret life. Like I would be one person for him because he, you know, he wanted me to dress a certain way and act a certain way. And um, he was real controlling over that. So that's who I would become for him. But then when I um, would go to work, like I would change my outfit. I'd have a different outfit mm-hmm. in the car and I would be a completely different person. And then um, started drinking heavily. And then one one time I tried cocaine and um, I felt like I finally had arrived. Like that was what the, what the missing piece was in my life was cocaine. Mm-hmm. And... Um, when people say like you can get addicted from the first time that you try it like that's exactly what happened for me I got addicted and I that's all I craved and I walked away from my entire family I walked away from the marriage I walked away from the kids I walked away from my parents they didn't know where I was for six months um they put a missing persons um report out for me because it's just not it wasn't something that was ever part of my family I mean my my dad my dad's alcoholism but nothing like drugs or anything like that. And so, um, yeah, I just started going down a really wrong path and, um, left all that behind, lost my, all my, my degree, of course, got fired and, um, just became a product of living a drug lifestyle with, um, people on the streets and, um, meeting new people and you know I had money and savings and things like that because I was a nurse and so I learned the hard way um streets to be street smart like I got taken advantage of a lot and I didn't even realize it and so um yeah I lost everything that I had in a really quick amount of time Mm mm-hmm can you talk a little bit about some of the emotions that you experienced being out on the streets and experiencing being taken advantage of? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I was never, you know, the, my lifestyle before, in, in my, you know, childhood and, and um, stuff was never like it was on the streets. Like the, the places that I would hang around were just places that I would never, ever even think of, of going to. And, um, I had this emptiness inside, this void inside that I just, um, I thought that cocaine was the answer to. And so I kept using more and more and more of it. And yet the void just kept getting bigger and Mm -hmm. bigger and the depression, um, set in. And then the sadness of, of wanting to go home and wanting this to stop. But yet the, the power of the drug Mm -hmm. just kept me in in bondage. And I, I could, I wanted to want to stop but I just didn't. And, um, the drugs just, just took hold. And my emotions were just, I was so sad all the time. Like I just wanted to go home and people would tell me you don't belong out here and you should go home. And, um, and I wanted to, but the drug just had me Mm -hmm. completely had me. I didn't, I just thought that, you know, if I just kept doing more and more and more of it, that I would, um, 
you know, I've, now I fit in with these people. These, this is where I fit in, and mm-hmm. this is where I should be. And knowing that it was wrong and, and missing my kids so much and missing my family and, and crying and then just doing more drugs to try to cover up and numb that, mm-hmm. that those feelings. Yeah. What were some of the things um, that you did on the streets to continue to fill that need for drugs? So um, as time progressed, like... I did go to um, several rehabs. My fa- my family did find me. They put me in rehab, and I would escape. And then I'd, um, you know, go back to the streets and just get worse and worse and worse. And it, it ended up switching from, from cocaine to meth, and I was then shooting up drugs. And um, and my life just got worse and worse. I was stealing. Um, I ended up becoming a prostitute and uh, escort in just doing unimaginable things that I never, ever thought that I would do. And mm-hmm. um, and that just made me feel so empty inside and just, like, worthless and how disgusting um, I was being treated and yet I was doing it for money to get the drugs. And, and I did anything at all costs. I did whatever it took to get money to get drugs and um, then just lost my dignity and my self-respect and my... Um, Anything that I had left that I liked about myself was just completely gone. And, um, you know, t- terrible, terrible things happened to me on the streets. Like, um, I had a gun to my head. I had knives to my throat. I had, you know, I was raped. I was um, abused. I was in abusive relationships. And just, um, I hated myself so much. And I thought that that's what I deserved. And mm-hmm. I hated myself so much for leaving my kids and choosing drugs and that the stuff that I was doing to myself, it, it didn't even matter. Like it was, cause it was, I just felt like I was just existing and not living. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I did, I did, I did everything possible to get drugs. And it's just something that I thought I would never, ever do. In that season, did you, one, believe in God? And two, if so, did you think that you were redeemable at that point? Um, the God that I knew, like, from a child, because we were Catholic, uh, I wouldn't really say, like, all the time Catholic, but, like, it was a condemning God. So I just felt like he hates me. You know, for sure he hates me now for what I'm doing, and for sure he hates me for leaving my kids. The one things that he entrusted me with, the, mm. the, the things that, you know, are precious, and what I always wanted to be was just a mom, and I just failed at that, and I just thought that, I, I think I believed in God at that time, but I didn't know who he was. And the God that I did believe in was just so mad at me and, and, tor- and torturing me. And all the, the pain and the, the suffering that I was going through on the streets was deserved because of the actions that I was taking. So I, I absolutely didn't feel at, at some point. I mean, towards the end, I, I just I begged for help. But, but during most of my addiction, I just was running was running from God because I, and hiding, mm-hmm. thinking I could hide. Yeah. yeah. What, what was the tipping point for you and what was that like? Um, I know you talked about, there was a moment you looked in the mirror. Will mm-hmm. you share that experience? Yeah, with? absolutely. So, um, this was towards the end of my addiction. Uh, I was just so hooked on methamphetamines. I was, um, I was shooting up so many times a day, uh, selling drugs and, um, I was burglarizing homes and then I became the most wanted, um, on TV through Crime Stoppers. I was on TV, like most wanted. And so I was running, um, 
all throughout the state on a crime spree, just breaking into cars and stealing from whoever just to get drugs. And um, I looked in the mirror one night when I was uh, just at a hotel or something, and I just looked in the mirror and I looked at my arms and I was so bruised and from the, the needles and I just didn't recognize myself. I didn't know who I was and I just... I hit my knees and I just, I begged God. I said, you know, if you're real, I need you to show up because I'm, I'm going to die. Mm -hmm. And um, I was so skinny, like 88 pounds. And I just, I just said, God, if, if you're real, I need help. I cannot do this anymore. I can't live like this. I don't want to run anymore. I can't, I can't live like this. And, um, and I know if I keep going like this, I'm going to die. Mm -hmm. And, and at that point I kind of just thought like, you know, where am I going to go if I do die? Mm -hmm. Or where am I going to go if I do live? Like, this is just a, a horrible existence. And I just, I just, I begged for help. Mm. Begged for help. Mm -hmm. uh, Coleman, we share with everyone a little bit about your upbringing. So uh, my upbringing was a little different than hers. Uh, I mean, I'm a trailer park kid. I was raised in in the park and went to school with kids. I kind of live out in the in the farmland in the county from Pueblo. And, uh, like, the school I went to was, like, there are a lot more upper-class kids and stuff like that, too. So I always kind of felt like, um, I always kind of felt like I was a little bit less than them in a lot of ways. So I, I would think that I'd have to make up for it in other ways. And, and uh, I have an older brother who... He's a great guy. He's about four years older than me, so, like, all his friends and, and stuff, he's always hanging around our house. Our house is kind of like the house everybody would go to. And uh, my parents, they're still married today. Uh, really good people. My dad, I mean, the, like, bikers and, and stuff like that. And, and uh, I mean, I had, a, I had a good upbringing. Like, I never, I didn't have no physical abuse as a child. Like, I mean, I have an older brother and all his friends. I mean, the kind of physical abuse that comes along with that, but... Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. parent-wise and stuff like that, but uh, nobody in my family is a believer. Um, they're not. They're not. Um, they're not against it, but they're just. They just don't believe or don't practice any kind of religion or any kind of faith or anything like that. But um, I always thought that I had to be the class clown, like, and <clears throat> I always was really happy-go-lucky. Everybody thought I was really happy-go-lucky, and. and I was getting in a lot of trouble in school. I'd always get in trouble, get suspended, get in fights, and, and just acting out all the time. I used to play sports real heavy and then trying to, like, follow my older brother. I kind of always idolized my older brother. And just one one year I just stopped doing it and I really started rebelling against everything and and uh, quit sports, uh, started using marijuana and drinking and, and that kind of stuff at a pretty young age. And then, uh, yeah, I quit school and started working. And I would work out. I'd work, uh, started working when I was probably like 15, 16 years old. And, uh, <clears throat> I'd work, get paid, and then use that, get paid on Friday and go and drink and hang out with my friends. And my friends were more important to me than anything. I mean, I put my friends before my family for everything because it's just kind of like they were like everything to me when I was, when I was younger. But I would say overall, though, I had a pretty happy childhood. What was that thing that you felt was missing in your life that made you feel like you started to go down that different path? 
So, like, uh, like I said, I, I always kind of thought that underlying depression to me, but it wasn't, it wasn't real bad. Like, I, I would have, I would go, like I said, everybody thought I was really, really happy-go-lucky, and I was usually always up and pretty happy, and then when I would get down, I would get really down, but I would always kind of keep it to myself, and nobody really knew it. Um, it was probably my teenage years that I kind of really realized that, that I did have something wrong with me, but I just never told anybody or anything like that. And, uh, I don't know, I would just, I think that's why I would act out a lot too, you know what I mean? And always try to be, put on this persona that I was just always happy and, and trying to be funny and impress everybody else and, um, just being a good friend and, and not really think about myself a lot. Mm-hmm. Would you say that um, it was because of the depression and trying to cope with that that you began using? Okay, so like beginning of my use, like I said, I started smoking weed and drinking. Like uh, that was with me and my friends. Like I said, mm-hmm. if my friends did anything, like I was full on in it. And so, I mean, we would all do that stuff together. Um, when it came to starting to use the harder drugs, it was absolutely like it was a depression, and then at first it started out being like a fun thing. So we'd go drinking and and we'd do like some coke or or something like that. And then when I had a relationship that fell apart, and it was like a seven year relationship, like a real my first real serious relationship, and uh, it it fell apart at a bad time because I thought that what the person wanted was nice stuff, but nothing ever made him made it happy or anything like that and we were using and drinking and stuff together and when that relationship fell apart that's when the depression hit the most and then at that same time it seems like everything came to a head and that's when I was introduced again to methamphetamines and, and doing drugs so all my inhibition to work all my reason to work went out the window and I was just kind of numbing the pain and and numbing it with drug use like I said mm-hmm. and and I think I just always, I never really realized how depressed I would get. And then that relationship kind of just ended overboard. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell us a little bit what life on the streets was like for you? Oh, man. So I didn't really, I didn't really care what happened to me. I didn't care about consequences. I didn't care if I went to jail. I didn't care if I got hurt. I didn't care if I got killed. I didn't care of nothing. So when you have that mentality, like there's no limit to the bad you can do. And I just didn't have no self-worth. I didn't think that anybody would even care if, if I ended up anywhere. You know I mean, it was the furthest thing from the truth. Like, my family is, my family is so awesome. Like, everybody did, from my family loves me so much. And, and But I was so clouded by mm-hmm. the drug use that I thought that they could care less. Um, so street life for me was, I mean, it was 100% get more drugs. Like, no matter what. So if it meant robbing houses, breaking in houses, if it meant... Uh, stealing checks and printing checks and um, no matter what like if if I ran into a drug dealer that like if I didn't have money and I knew that he had drugs I would just rob him I mean even drug dealers were like in a conundrum with me they would they didn't know to sell to me or I'd rob him or if they didn't sell to me I would rob him so it like uh, even the drug dealers were like terrified of me like I mean I was I was out of control I mean um People didn't want to get in cars with me. People didn't want to hang out with me. People didn't want to uh, go anywhere with me because they weren't sure what I was going to do. They weren't, like, 
they weren't sure if they're going to be in a high speed chase that if if they go to get pulled over and it's very possible you know and they didn't know if i was going to stick up a store if we pulled up in the parking lot they didn't know anything about me you know what i mean like they they uh i was just unpredictable mm-hmm. and i had no i had no concern for anybody else i had no concern for uh anybody else's life i had no concern for my own mm-hmm. so i mean the street life for me was pretty pretty extreme Mm-hmm. And that's where you guys met, correct? Yeah. That is where we met. Yeah. So the first time, actually, the first time I met Kelly was she was, I met her through one of my friends that I grew up with, one of, one of my friends since I was a kid, mm-hmm. and he, she was hanging out with him, and uh, he actually did something to make me mad, and I ended up, I think, kicking in the hotel door and <laughs> getting in a fight with him, and she she actually grabbed me and was throwing me out, I think. <laughs> I think that's how it was. But anyway, so we ended up meeting before or after, after that and like uh we would always we would always run into each other, like I would see her and like I said before, like she just didn't belong. And and the sad thing is like the way the way my brother is and the way my brother always has been has been the like the pattern that my dad set out for us. Like, my dad set a pattern for us he taught us a trade. He pointed us in a direction, and my brother chose to follow that direction, and he got a better life out of it, where I chose to do my own direction because I thought I knew better than everybody mm-hmm. else, and I could just do it this way, and I thought that I could get quick money doing drugs but and, and doing it this way, and I ended up completely on the wrong end. So mm-hmm. I never really belonged in that in that like I didn't need to sell drugs to survive I didn't need to be a criminal to survive like some of my friends whose parents were criminals and and so on and so forth what I mean that's all they knew but I knew something different Mm -hmm. so when I seen her I always like I knew I was like she doesn't belong here either and uh, through all the depression like in everybody that's in in an addiction circle everybody the main cause is probably depression depression and and lack of want and or lack of a self yeah you know and there's always something missing so we all know it's like the elephant in the room but nobody says anything everybody acts like they're happy and and this is the way of life but so in all that depression and stuff like that like i would see these little bits of her personality and and stuff like that and i mean i was i just loved her like and but i was so messed up and she was so messed up like we never ever pursued anything Mm-hmm. romantically we'd never been together or nothing like that she would get in trouble and call me which is kind of weird like because like after everything i'm telling you like everybody else is terrified of being around me and and this kind of stuff and she gets in trouble and i'm the person that she would call i always just felt safe around him like he was like the guys on the streets like in that in that kind of um you know the drug lifestyle they're all expect something from you like if you hang out with them and you do drugs like then they want you to do stuff with them and like I hated that. Like, I didn't want to be part of that. That's not who I was. And and so I always would want to hang out with him because he was never like that. Like, he just always treated me with respect and and, um, and dignity despite the fact that uh, I was a mess, you know. And he mm-hmm. always treated me r- really nice. And, I mean, we didn't hang out all the time or anything because we both, like I said, we were both on drugs and went our, you know, separate ways. And he did stuff and I did stuff. And... Um, but yeah, whenever I was like, needed something, he was there. Like for, I remember like a Thanksgiving or something, I had nowhere to go and I was just like walking around aimlessly and, 
um, no one to call, um, nowhere to even go, and just was walking around the park, and I just remember just calling him, and he came, and he got me, and he, like, brought me a plate of food, and it was just, like, the type of, of caring person that um, no one else in that kind of lifestyle would do for you. They don't mm-hmm. care. They don't care. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like, he was just always on my heart, and I really feel like my heart, like, loved him. I just, my mind was just so, so clouded. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, then he ended up going to prison, and I kind of stayed out there in my addiction. And um, But I never stopped thought, thinking about him. Like, I always thought about him. And when he mm-hmm. was in jail, I would write to him and um, while I was, had periods of sobriety. And then I'd go back, and I wouldn't, and then... Those are those periods of rehab that she was talking about. Yeah, when but, I yeah, yeah the, the rehab, the several so, rehabs that I went in, then I would I would always write to him because I just thought about him all the time and cared about him and, mm-hmm. and was hoping that he was okay. And um, you know, the same thing for him. He'd see people that would come into the jail and he'd ask about me, and and they're like, "Oh, she's a mess," and this. That and was that. the only person I really ever asked about was you. And then, uh, so like, after meeting and all that and all that addiction, like, like I said, she would write to me. In her periods of sobriety and stuff like that, and like I'd be so happy, and I'd write, I'd write to her back, and I'd get no letters. So I'd like already know because I I know that lifestyle, but like uh, yeah, that 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 life and like the things that we were doing, like I said, it ultimately ended up in somebody losing their life, you mm-hmm. know, and and when when that happens, like there's nothing. There's nothing more serious than that. There's nothing that will weigh on your heart more than that. Yeah, so why don't you talk a little bit about that experience and how that led into the prison system? Okay, so um, my addiction, like I said, it, it, one of my best well, my best friend at the, and uh, me and him was just doing whatever, like and selling drugs, doing drugs, stealing them, all that, well eventually led into somebody losing their life and the the after effects of it was really bad and I mean as you can imagine but the the events that led up to me being arrested was really bad also so I mean they they put it in the paper and they put that they were looking for me so I went on the run uh was involved in uh two high-speed police car chases uh three or four foot chases in the same night um, almost, you know, I mean, who knows how many people almost hurt while I'm running through red lights and and everything else. End up getting arrested. Um, end up uh, going to jail, and so I was in jail. I was arrested on first degree murder. I was arrested for about twenty counts of fraud, forgery, identity theft, uh, vehicle looting, weapons charges, everything, anything you can think of, and. uh I mean, I went to jail, and it was the first time that, in a long time, that I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to be able to be in that in that same street life and stuff like that, but the first couple of weeks, I spent mostly just sleeping and, and sobering up, and then the count, that county jail, the county that I'm from, public county jail, it's full of gangs, and it's full of one gang in particular, and it's a bunch of guys I grew up with, but they're they're I'm not in that gang or I'm not a part of that gang of course and it's uh they have full reign in that jail I mean there there's tons of them in that jail and so every day I was getting in fights and fighting and acting out and 
I was coming off of my addiction. I was facing the rest of my life in uh, prison. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. And I was acting out. And I was still acting out. And I got into so much trouble in that county jail. I was the worst offender in that county jail. Like, they put me into solitary confinement. And I went into solitary confinement. And uh, they put me in a room. They put me in a room that they had put metal over the windows, so no windows. And the the um, the detectives and the, and the police officers in there said they wanted to keep me in that room. So I was in that room by myself for 11 months total. Mm-hmm. About a, and uh, it was in that room where, I mean, my whole my whole life changed was in there and I'm not going to say that that being in solitary confinement didn't have a huge effect on my my mental state because it did I was going crazy I lost my vision in there from being in a room so long that I mean I never needed glasses now I have to wear glasses Um, but that's not even nothing compared to the physical abuse that I've suffered from guards and and mental abuse that I suffered from being all alone in a room mm-hmm. for 23 hours a day and and I didn't see I didn't see uh I didn't see any sunlight until I tricked a guard into letting me move to another room that he didn't know I was supposed to move so I got like a window for like an hour and a half and 11 months so <laughs> but I mean they used to do things to me in there like because we would act out because we were mad and I mean confused and all that stuff but they used to have these little doors in the, our little tray slots in the doors that they can open up and give you your food. So they'd come by, and and if you're acting up, they'd open those little trays and spray mace in there and then close the mm. tray on you and leave you in there for hours. And mm. they'd come in and, and practice, uh, like, cell extractions on you and, and stuff like that and come in and pin you down and drag you out on your stomach. And, and they did some... They did some things that you don't think that happens in jails nowadays in America, but they do. And I was, I was so angry. I was just, I couldn't, I couldn't believe where I, where I ended up. I'd get one hour out, and I'd call my family. I'd get an hour to shower, call my family, and and do, and do nothing for an hour. Really, it was just another a bigger room that I'd go to. Well, one day. I, I talked to my grandfather on on the phone and he kind of knew what was going on and he knew what I was going through because from what I was telling my parents and stuff like that and he he asked me he said if I send you in a bible will you read it and I mean my grandparents were always I mean church every Sunday Christians I mean and I mean sung in the choir everything like they were Mm -hmm. they were really good people and and uh so I was like, yeah, Grandpa, and I, I really looked up to my Grandpa. My Grandpa meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a World War II vet. I mean, he he was just, he was awesome, just awesome. And uh, so I told him, yeah, Grandpa, I'll check it out. I'll, I'll read it. And he sent me in that Bible. Well, before I even got the Bible, the Bible made it to the jail. And before I got the Bible, uh, they had these little fo- uh, foil tabs that separated the books, you know, like mm-hmm. so you can just get to the book real quick. Yeah. Well, the the floor sergeant came up and told me, she goes, well, or they go, we're not going to give you your Bible. Your grandpa brought it, but we're not going to give it to you. 
And I was like, well, why? And they said, well, because those foil tabs, we don't know. They're pretty sharp, is what they said. Hmm. So, like, my mind right away started going to, like, all right, now I'm going to act up. Like, I was I was starting to get angry. I was starting to get really mad. And that's when, that was probably the first time I ever really actually prayed. And I was like, yeah, I mean, if I'm supposed to have this, then you'll make a way. Or, you know I mean, then, then I'm supposed to have it. And that's what I left it at. Like, I didn't really, I never really, like, uh, prayed before or anything like that. Not even a couple of minutes later, in Watts' sergeant, I still remember her name. Her name is Sergeant Weaver. And she's just a little little goblin. And she came in, and she had this big old study Bible with her, right? And she's like, there's no way I'm keeping this from you. She gave it to me. She went over everybody's head and handed it to me. So right then, I just started reading it. And from the time I started reading it, like, everything that was going on and uh, going on in that world out there, like, I was just oblivious to because I was so... I just started devouring that book and I read it from chapter to ch- or from cover to cover I did like you know I mean to read the bible in the year I did that in like no time because I had all day to read it hmm. and, yeah and I mean that's that's probably the day that impacted me the most in changing me mm-hmm. and uh reading all that stuff and doing it by myself and I was doing all these different mail-in uh um Bible studies and all this mm-hmm. stuff. So, but I was doing it like all these different. Uh, um, I was doing all the different things. Like I was doing Seventh Day Adventists and Jehovah's mm-hmm. Witnesses and and all these different yeah. things. So, like I was getting all this different information. Like I would ask one question and send it here, send it there, send it there, and I would get all these different answers. Yeah. And then, like thinking about all the things I'd done and all that stuff, and I just didn't understand it. Like I didn't understand the the love of God like I didn't mm. understand that that I did qualify like I that I would be accepted into it like I didn't think that I would ever like I didn't think it was just that unconditional like there's no way that there's no way that it, it applies for me mm-hmm. and I didn't understand that the power of the blood of Jesus you know, like I didn't understand the covering power of it I didn't understand grace or I didn't understand having faith like I didn't understand none of it. And then, so, at that time, like, after about 11 months of that, then I, I actually got out of solitary confinement and went to prison. And I went to prison, I got sentenced to 12 years for uh, manslaughter and three years for identity theft. And um, they they shipped me off to prison. I went to Buena Vista. And... Um, I mean, that was a whole nother story in itself, going to prison, but just going from being arrested for first-degree murder to actually getting a life back mm-hmm. and and knowing that I'm going to be out someday mm-hmm. really had an impact on me on how am I going to be from, from, from now on. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about... Um, the mind games and the emotions that you experience being in prison and being in solitary confinement? So, like I said, the mind games of being in solitary confinement are are crazy. So, you have to do something to keep yourself from going completely insane. So, And there's a lot of hours in the day and you can only sleep so many. So, like, one of the tricks that I did for myself was I would sleep during the day and uh, try to stay up at night so it was more quiet. Because you have a whole unit full of guys that are going crazy. 
and people are acting out, uh, flooding cells, water going everywhere, fighting with the police, just, I mean, and then the mind games that the police play with you, you know, and, and you can only imagine the stress that they're under. Mm-hmm. And they're in fear also. I mean, their job is a very dangerous job. So they don't know how we're going to act when they interact with us, you know? Right. So the mind games of being in solitary are like nothing I've ever experienced before. Like, And I've always been I've always been pretty tough throughout my whole life to where I can handle a lot of things. Physically, like, it, it, nothing really bothers me. And mentally, I used to think, I mean, uh, uh, except for, like, you I mean, the depression things and stuff like that. I used to think I was pretty strong, but uh, 23 hours a day in a room that's as big as most bathrooms, no electronics, no no human contact. Like, I used to just act out so the cops would come in so I would get just some kind of mm. human contact. Yeah. Like, I mean, I would literally do stuff so they would have to come in and drag me out of my room and take me to another room just and they'd be like well why are you acting like this just to have that talk you know what I mean just to have the talk with somebody and um uh the things you have to do to keep your mind from going crazy on top of that am I going to not only from I mean a selfish standpoint am I going to spend the rest of my life in prison but from the standpoint that used to that I used to think about like what about this person's family or what about the things that I've done already to other people's families mm-hmm. what about the houses what about you know what I mean all this stuff goes through your mind so I just read mm-hmm. and I would read I read everything I read everything you could think of in history uh, art books just whatever you can do like you have to try to to uh, get your mind straight so by the time I left county so I got out of solitary because my behavior had changed so much, they actually cut a deal with me. But anyway, so when I got to prison, <laughs> my first day of prison, I walk in, I go into the chow hall to eat lunch, and as I'm walking in, some guy gets cut from ear to ear, and almost gets his head cut off. Like, the first day, and I'm like, oh my God, like, like I just, like, all I see is this guy grab his neck and, and I'm, this is my first day. I'm walking in, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, what am I going to do? Like, I got 12 years of this I have to do. Mm. So the the mind the mind games that go on every day in prison and, and, and the things you have to do to survive that most people have to do, the, the weirdest thing about it is that I didn't have to do. I didn't join a prison gang, which most people do. I didn't have to. Um, I didn't have to do anything. For some reason, um, I was pretty much just left alone. Hmm. And I met every one of the main leaders of every gang. And I just when I got there, I kind of just told them, I was like, I mean, I'm not, I just want to do my own thing, you know. And they let me, which is like unheard of. And yeah. like I never really understood why. Like I, I went through prison. I got in one fight when I first got there. It was like three or four days after my first day. And like that's just like normal. And I went back into solitary right away. And I was in solitary for 14 days in prison. I was like, oh, my God, I do not want this, you know? Yeah. So they let me out, and that's when I like, I had to talk with the guys, and I was just like, you know what I mean? I'm just, I just want to do my own thing, and they let me in. So hmm. I went all the way through nine more years of that, or I'm sorry, seven more years of that without um, without a fight, without wow. a, a incident, nothing. 
and I never like uh, I couldn't figure out why. But then uh, one of the guy, a guy that works security here, he's my one of my mentors, Dan Griffith. He uh, we had dinner, and I was telling the story, and he's like, he goes, well, "God says that he, he'll even lay your enemies at your feet, hmm. and you'll go through with peace." And so like, even when I I went cold because I think I've to, I told you that part of my story too. Like after all the confusion and stuff about uh, the different religions that were sending me and stuff like that, I just went cold to God, like and gave away my Bibles, I gave away all my stuff, stopped studying, stopped reading, stopped talking about it, hmm. and because I didn't have no answers, like I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't have no tangible um, thing to stand on. Right. Because like, I didn't know. I didn't have a, a, a solid belief system. Even though I read and studied, I just didn't get it. Yeah. So yeah. that whole time, even when we're even when we're not thinking that he's working, he's working. Yeah, it's true. It is true. It's absolutely mm-hmm. true. Kelly, um, after that, you stood in front of the mirror and you had that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a couple was it a couple days later you were arrested yep, you want to talk days. about that yeah absolutely so yeah i was i that was at night i begged for help and it was literally it was either like the day or just a couple of days after um we were at target in arapahoe county somewhere and um the code the guy that i was with my co-defendant he had gone in and tried to try to get a prescription or something filled and was ridiculous because we're the most wanted like we're on tv on the news like <laughs> it was so stupid but yet i mean it was it was divine intervention because like god stopped me when i couldn't stop myself mm-hmm. and yeah. um so when i got arrested and, and got handcuffed and put in the back of the police car like i knew i was going to be in so much trouble there was so much stolen stuff in that car and um just all the crimes that i had committed like i knew that i was going to be in trouble but i didn't care I just had this feeling of relief and I was just like, thank God this is over. Like I just, I never felt such a sense of peace as I did just sitting in the back of that cop car, Mm -hmm. like just a, a weight lifted off of my shoulders and just like I could finally breathe and, um, and knowing like, you know, this is going to be, um, I didn't know how long I was facing, but I knew a lot of counties were involved and I knew that, um, I knew that I was going to be in there a while. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, t- I got taken to Arapahoe County. Um, my bond was set at like $500,000 or something ridiculous like that. And uh, because I'd, I was already out on a couple of bonds, like one for 75000 one for 150000 um because I was selling drugs, so I had the money to get out. And they were like, okay, yeah, yeah, we're not going to let you out now. You know, you're done. You're staying in. Hmm. And so... I stayed in and um, I just, and I was glad. I was so just glad. And I just started yeah. digging into um, the Bible. I still have my Bible from county jail and it is just tore up but, <laughs> and underlined and highlighted in this. And But I understood it and it was talking to me and God was talking to me in ways that I just have never understood before. And um, like I would just be reading certain things and I'm just like, Wow. And like same thing with, with him, like how he said the enemy thing. Like I had a lot of, when I would get taken to Pueblo, like some of the girls in there are just mean, like they're just, the guys are nicer to each other, I think, than sometimes I don't, he, I mean, he fought a lot, but like the girls are just so petty and mean. And, um, especially if you're getting taken from county to county to county, no one wants to help you out. They don't give you any hygiene. They don't give you any, anything. So usually girls are kind of 
stingy with their stuff and um kind of mean mean to you or whatnot and i would just pray and just read my bible and and it was true like your enemies would just you just got through it and they would actually be like the ones that would be most helpful to you and so things were just going good and um peaceful like I never I never felt such a sense of peace and like it was a couple of weeks where I slept and I ate and I just kind of recovered but never once did I have a craving not once since Hmm. I since I got arrested I um I asked God to remove it and I just asked God to take it from me and which is crazy because I could not go a day without using not one day and I never craved it I never had a feeling of I want out of here I just want you know to go get high I want to smoke a cigarette I want something anything I just, I didn't, I just, incredible. I just had a, it was incredible mm-hmm. and no like withdrawal symptoms. I mean, I was tired and stuff like that, but, um, no withdrawal symptoms or anything like that. It was just, God just, I, I asked for help and he helped. He was yeah. just waiting. I think he was just waiting and yeah. searching for me and just finally when I called on him, he was there and wow. yeah. And so did I did get sentenced to um, six years in prison. Um, I got, like, the maximum. And I had never even been on probation or anything. But, like, the crimes that I did, like, I had so many cases. And um, I was just I, – I, my sentence could have been from anywhere from three to six years. And I got the maximum. And um, and my parents were there. And the victims of the, the houses that I robbed were there. And I was just such a embarrassing um feeling yet just relieving and just like I deserve it you know I deserved it and I um when I went to prison it was a, it was just the scariest day of of my life like seeing the gates and seeing the the barbed wire and the guards and because mm-hmm. I was at Denver Women's and it's a maximum security and it's it was just scary because it's just that's not who I was like I wasn't I wasn't a criminal like that's not who I was supposed to be mm-hmm. and um but God needed to stop me because I couldn't mm-hmm. stop and he needed to refine me and put me through the fire so I could get all that stuff burned off of me and become the woman that he wanted me to be and um and I just feel like as I was going through those gates and and handcuffs and shackles and I just I just vowed to myself and to God that I was going to make myself a better person um in there and and walk out a better woman and and the woman that God wanted me to be and I did and I worked really hard on myself mm. in there and did all I could and um I started going to God behind bars from the from the get go got saved got baptized got everything and just like my relationship with God just was so awesome and just I was just on fire for God and just understanding and hearing him and and trying to bring other people to him and just content yeah. despite all my circumstances and um, I would always just read that in Philippians when, when Paul was talking about being content, you know, despite the fact that, you know, sometimes I didn't I didn't have anyone in there to take care of me. Like, I didn't, I wasn't comfortable. My parents didn't send me anything. Like, I didn't have anybody sending me money. I didn't have anybody sending me anything. So I had the bare minimum that they give you, and which was the absolute best thing that could happen to me because mm-hmm. I wasn't comfortable. I was miserable. I was <laughs> so miserable. They shaved my head bald when I first got there. Um, because I had like this mohawk. So it was just like a humiliating experience. Like it was just horrible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was bad. Really bad. That's an incredible story of how, yeah, 
God had to stop you and just transformed your life Mm -hmm. in that place. And I know you had once mentioned that you felt more freedom in prison than you had felt in your prison of addiction. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I was so trapped in my addiction. Like, there, there was not a thought in my head other than getting high or getting money to get high. And, um when depression would come in about my kids or this or that, it was just more drugs, more drugs, more drugs. And I was just so trapped. And when I was in, in prison, I was just, I was free from that. And, Mm. um, you know, despite the fact that I I had gates locking me in, I was free. Yeah. I was free on the inside. The worst day of prison is better than your best day of addiction. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. And so your life was transformed. Absolutely. And you got out Mm -hmm. and then you started writing Coleman. Correct. Yeah, like I was out, I was out about a month, and um, like just something on my heart. Just I just was. It it wasn't even coming from me. Like I can't just say like I was just thinking about him. Like just something was. Like I really felt like God was just telling me like just see how he's doing, write him, and and so I, I looked him up online, and um, when I looked him up online. It said that he was at the um, Maxim CSP, the Colorado. State penitentiary, the maximum mm-hmm. maximum security, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, he's probably like fighting," because I knew how he was on the streets, like fights and this and that. So I wrote him, and I was like, "I hope that you're that you're doing okay. Like, there's a better life. There's so much more out here, and um, I see that your MRD is coming up soon. Like, please don't go back to Pueblo. It's just bad. Like, I had told him about the program that I was in, and um, and just was trying to just reach out to him to see how he was doing basically and and he wrote back to me right away and was just like I'm not there I'm in Buena Vista I've been doing really good and haven't had any he's like just told me how great he was doing and that um in fact he told me like if you're doing anything bad like please don't write me again because I don't want that in my life anymore and I refuse to have it and so I was just like wow that's that's awesome that he also was just changing his life and so we just you know started writing each other um, and talking on the phone and, and really getting to know each other for who we really were and not who we were yeah. as addicts. And um, and just really just just fell in love with him and just like how he was and the true him. And, um, you know, just getting to know each other through letters and through phone calls and um, being able to be real with each other and just – and I told him everything, like everything that I did that he had since he had been gone, like how bad I got and how um, my life had gone so low. And yet he didn't judge me or anything mm-hmm. for any of that. He yeah. was just like, gosh, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And he was just so compassionate and caring. And um, it was just it was it was awesome. And it was it was perfect for me because I just got out and I don't think that I needed to have a, a physical relationship with anyone at that time I needed to really just focus on me and God and so I did I was working but yeah I had this someone that I could talk to that wasn't here you know with me and it was just it was it was perfect it was just awesome yeah and what were those what did those letters do for you Coleman what was so awesome about that is like like I said (laughs) like for the moment my my character changed when I was in solitary so uh I mean, the reason why my character changed was the knowledge that I was getting. About, you know, I wasn't getting a lot of the understanding of it. So, throughout my whole prison stay, all that time when I was in that, when I was in, went back to the whole or back to the solitary, and I was like, "There's no way I'm going to live like this." So, eventually, I ended up, like I said, giving away my Bibles and just was just grew, grew cold. Like I didn't 
I didn't shake my face at God and was like, why? You know, like I just, I just didn't, I just didn't understand, you know? And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I was like, then I started like reading all this different stuff, like philosophy books and different religions and, and stuff like that. And, and I was finally just fed up and I just grew completely cold, but my character and the things that I learned were still going. So when I got a letter from her, because I got letters from other people too, and mm-hmm. and I mean guy friends, girls that 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 were from the past stuff like that too, and I told them the same thing. I'm like, look, I don't, I don't have any interest in in writing you or or you writing hmm. me. I said I, I mean I got, I got my own thing that I have to do, you know, and so. When I got the letter from her, it was different. Even though I still told her the same thing, like after I told the other people that, they would just not write me again because they were they were doing bad. So when she, when I got her letter and then uh, I wrote her back and told her that, like, you know what I mean, she's doing bad. That uh, I don't want, then just don't write me. Well, she wrote me back and we continued to write, and huh. like it was it was awesome. Like it, I knew right then, so. What was awesome is that I knew it was her and those bits and pieces that I said that I would see glimpses of her and I knew that it was the real her, even in her yeah. addiction and I'd fall in love. Well, now it was just a constant glimpse, yeah. you know? And so, like, I was head over heels like the second letter. <laughs> I was done. I was done. And so, and the same thing, I think, with her is that, like, when she would call me in those times when she was trouble, like, that was the real me coming yeah. through, you know? And, and, and... So throughout these letters, she would always pepper me with faith questions. <laughs> and so she was like, well, you know, what about this? And when and so, <laughs> yeah, so like I was just dodging them because all my past experience with talking with other people about God and stuff like that would end in argument or uh, even deeper misunderstanding or, or us not believing the same type of things, you yeah. know. So so like I, I was really trying to dodge it to kind of protect the, the the relationship at first. But she would come to Red Rocks, and she would go every Sunday. So we'd talk on the phone all the time, too. So multiple letters a week, talk on the phone every day, multiple times a day. And then uh, on Sundays, she would come to Red Rocks, and she would take notes and do the sermon, and uh, or take notes on the sermon. And then uh, when she'd get home, I'd get out of my get out for free time out of my cell in the afternoon. And the door would door would open up, and I would just sprint for the phones. Like there's like nine phones and like three hundred guys, right? <laughs> so like I would just dead sprint for the phone, pushing people out of the way, just trying to get to the phone. And I'd, yeah. and I'd pick up the phone and call her, and she would redo the sermon for me. She would, yeah. I mean, just go at it, and it was awesome. But the whole time I'm I'm thinking like, you mean like I still have those. Like didn't understand what was going on. Like I didn't. Like I mean, like with my faith. Like I, mm-hmm. I knew God was calling me back, and I knew that He was using her, but I was still like kind of combating it because I didn't want yeah. to go through that same bad experience or the same experience that I was having with the Jehovah's Witnesses right. and the Seventh Day Adventists and all this stuff. Yeah. Right. So, but so uh, one day I think it was a sermon that Sean gave talking about how Jesus is the only way. Yeah. And so then I asked her, I go, "Do you think that there's other ways to heaven?" And she was like what like, like, <laughs> like I can still remember the tone like I always say this when I do the story too like I still remember the tone and I remember my spine just going like, you know what I mean like I, I just mad. messed yeah like bad and like because she thought that I was challenging her faith also at the same time you know what I mean or challenging like what she knew mm-hmm. and she, you don't challenge a woman when they know, you know? Like, <laughs> I just knew what yeah. changed me and you I know, knew that was absolutely. the only way and yeah. what, what, what's crazy I know that's what changed me also like, 
And I really think that he let me go cold mm. so I would forget all that other stuff that I was misunderstanding. Yeah. And used her to to snap my head right. And so uh, that's what she did. I mean, she was like, look, this is real. This is why my life has changed. Yeah. And she was like, this is absolutely the only reason why I'm not addicted to drugs, why I am the person I am today. <clears throat> when I... Uh, after that phone call, like, it really got me thinking and, and got me praying again. And sooner or later, all of a sudden, I started getting all these books slid under my, my cell door from this this guy that had another huge impact on me. His name's Travis. He's still in he's still in prison. He's he's probably never, ever going to get out. But uh, he heard that I was talking to, well, he heard that she was a Christian. So he started sliding books under my door, like Sermons on the Mount, like yeah. uh, expositions of Sermons on the Mount and and uh, uh, power of the blood and, and all this stuff, right? Like all these fundamental truths. And I went back through and I and uh, I was I got a Bible and stuff like that. Actually, this guy got me a Bible and, and all this stuff. And I started reading this. And everything that I had read before that I didn't understand just made so much sense to me. Like I was like, yeah. okay, okay. And then um, one of the, the biggest, most, uh, I guess one of the biggest days of my faith was some things happened to her when, when I was in there. So her car got stolen and she was going through this hard time. And like, we were kind of like, had like a little friction on the phone because she was trying to handle all this stuff. And I'm still trying to call and like feeling helpless cause I'm in there. And so we had like, that was like the first little bit of friction in our, in our relationship. And so I went to service that Sunday and, uh, I was just like, man, this is when it all falls apart. This is when it's going to fall apart again. Like cause the relationship, just everything in my life would always get to this point where it was going good and then everything would just mm. fall apart. Yeah. And um, I was like, okay, well, it was so great. Like, I'd never met anybody that that just filled me so much and just this is through letters, letters and phone calls, you know. Yeah. And um, so I went to the service that day and there was this song. It was it was a worship song that that guy Travis actually wrote because he did, I mean, this guy does everything in, in there. He does, writes the worship songs, orchestrates the whole church, everything. And... Um, he wrote this song called "Picking Up the Pieces and Bringing Them to Jesus," and in the, in in that song, it talks about. I mean, when you think everything's going bad, like his yoke is easy, like he you just give it to mm. him and he'll fix it, yeah. and he can make it happen if it's his will, you know. And so, like that song came on and it it just like destroyed me, like just like destroyed me in the best way ever, you know, like yeah. like just completely broke down all my walls and everything. And I prayed. Uh, I got down right there in the in the middle of service. I started praying. And that's like one of the first time I really ever heard like that inner voice saying, look, it's not going to be like you think. It's mm -hmm. not going to be exactly like you think, but it's never going to fall apart on you. Like, And so her letters and, and that was was the vessel that God used to to solidify me and, and knowing that it's real. Like, And there's nothing fake about it. It's 100% his love and his his his, hand. his hands that that heal and restore and yeah. and take what you completely made a mess out of and <laughs> makes a masterpiece out of it i mean mm, for sure yeah. yeah that's beautiful absolutely yeah so you both got out Yes. And mm. you're now married. Yes. We are now married. We're going yes. to vows tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you know we're gonna do? Yeah. Can yeah. you guys both talk a little bit just about how your life has so been different since your 
uh, transformation and what your life looks like now in contrast to what it looked like before prison. Oh, yeah. So um, he was, like, dead set on going back to Pueblo. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, please don't go back there. Like, it's it's really bad. And um, and so he was going to come to the program that that I actually work at now. But I, I went to. That's where I got – when I got out of prison, I went to it. And then, like, two weeks before he was going to get out, they're like, um, oh, he can't come here because it's a conflict of interest because you work, work here. And I'm like – He's getting out in two weeks. Like, what What are we going to do? Like, I changed all my parole. Everything, everything was changed. Right? Like, he's oh, getting yeah. out. Yeah. Like, And so, actually, my boss let him come and stay at her personal house. And so, um, it was Huge. just like God worked it out. And, and like yeah. he said, like he said, it's going to work out not as we think it is going to be, but it's going to work out as it's supposed to be. And so, he was out two months. And, um, and I had been out for, geez, 15 months or whatever. And... Um, and we wanted to get married and we wanted to live together, but we wanted to make sure that we got married before because mm-hmm. we didn't want, we wanted to do it different than we've ever done it. Yeah. And so we did, we got married and, um, it's super hard to find housing when you're felons. And like both of us look absolutely horrific on paper. Like we had, I had horrible credit. He had no credit. Like I had nine felonies. He has felonies. Like we're just a mess on paper. Yeah. But the first, um, the first place that we went and applied for it was this this duplex, and and the people were like, "Okay, well, you guys, you know, sound great, but it's gonna come down. We we have one other lady looking at it, and it'll come down to your credit report and uh, background checks." And we're like, "Great," <laughs> but um, you know, we just prayed, God, if if, the, if it's your will for us mm-hmm. to to have this, then it, and then it will be, you know. And they called us back, and they're like, "We're gonna give you a chance. Wow. We're gonna go with you." And so like. It was the first call we had made on any and anything. The guy called us right back, mm-hmm. and then they gave us a chance. It was just like God was like really working yeah. perfectly, it's, perfectly things out. The, and that's the thing. That's the difference between before we went to prison. Our life was so chaotic. Like, oh yeah. Like I said, like if you've seen some of the houses that we stayed at, or like hung around, or some of the places and people that we hung around, like you'd have to like walk you, where you sit because there was needles. You, everywhere. Yeah, you'd like, have to. Like it was. It was like, disgusting. Like it's it's almost hard to explain to somebody that's never been like. Uh, it's never been through that lifestyle. lifestyle. It's insane. Like, it's, it's so chaotic. Uh, nobody, like, like, I don't even know, like, how did any of these people pay rent or anything? Like, I don't even know how these houses were there. Uh, war uh, broke down. There was uh, nothing warehouses, but like whatever. You know I mean? Yeah, just, like, it was. It's just, know, it's just chaos, right? So, horrible. like, and then if not that, then using some of the money that you stole to buy a hotel room for the night, mm-hmm. and then the whole time. The hotel room just gets trashed, and then you go to the next hotel room over here, and then you go to this house, and then you go to that house. So you're pretty much homeless, but yeah, but not. And there's like you know, I mean, you don't have no, you don't have an ID, you don't have nothing, bank accounts, you don't have nothing. I mean, it's just, it's just a miserable existence. Like, and um, and now it's just the difference opposite. to it now. So is the complete opposite. Like, um, we both have jobs. We both have, have really yeah, stability, good jobs. Like, like and like. It's the um, normal life. It's just... I mean, and it, what's so odd is, like, the trust that people have in us, like, and especially um, friends people from church and, 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 and people from other churches who just uh, fellow believers and stuff like that. Like, like uh, even when, like, her boss letting me go there, like, out of prison, in prison for, for manslaughter, manslaughter, like, and, uh, an addict, all this stuff, and, and then just opening their home to me, and then um, all the way to... Like when we working first in offices, like yeah, like yeah. like, 
having company credit cards and i mean yeah, we have we both have like stuff we're just yeah like, wow, and like well awesome. well before like that was like insane no, like yeah, give us yeah. a company credit card yeah credit card and, and this and that like we lost or people loaning us or like so when Our her car house. gets stolen so her car gets this dang car man but her car gets stolen <laughs> okay. and people are just like well you, you, you can, can use, use our car don't rent or a like, car you know what i mean they were just like Wow. Okay, but like the example that some, especially a couple, a couple of Christian couples that are in our lives that we kind of that we really look up to mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and kind of like see how these people are just so incredible, and they like they they just loved us unconditionally, and mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. so to go from a group of people that doesn't trust you that. Like I was telling you, like they, people were afraid to get in the cars with me. Like yeah, they don't people want were us like, around. yeah, they do not want you around. Like you're in their house, they're hiding their valuables and everything. <laughs> and then uh, to go from that to being financially stable, being responsible, tax paying, um, volunteering. It took a while. I mean, it uh, took a while to get like. Um, oh, yeah, actually stable. Like for me, she, it was super hard. I was working at a fast food place for a while, and then and then um, and then I got a better job but when we first moved in together like we had nothing like literally a bed and that was it we didn't have a we table had a we had nothing bed. everything in our house like we had so many people just come and just bring us up they don't even know us and just people that this these christian couples that their friends had stuff they would just bring over yeah. and just the favor that god had upon mm-hmm. us and the just care. how the yeah. care he like i said like he made it to where and and, that, and that's all it is too is like the people every single person that's in our life and is has i mean you included god to, behind bars to the pastors here oh my gosh to, they've just been a absolutely it's just they've been such a help to the me the complete difference yeah. between chaos and order is what it is and so uh we're looked at as as people and um, like people look at us now and they, they don't think that we would ever have ever been yeah. in prison. That don't know us and don't know yeah. Like they would never guess that we've been to prison or yeah. anything, you know? So, I mean, the power of God to change your character and, and to change what people see in you mm-hmm. is, is something else. Like, and just like, just being able to, I, I, I use it. Like I don't go around like I've been in prison, but like, um, I try to use my past as mm-hmm. my greatest asset now to try to help other people that are going yeah. down that road. And, and so many people call, I have people from the FBI calling me to help with sex trafficking victims. And, um, just, it's, it's amazing. I work with parole officers, parole supervisors. They, they call me on my cell phone to help them with, with, with their other clients. They use us as examples of how to be good on parole. Yeah. And yeah. we were like the worst was, of the worst. That's, that's what I always, that's what I always find. That's hilarious. Cause like, like her, you know, like both of us, but like her especially, like, like um, how they were searching for her so bad, like they wanted to find her to arrest her. And now, like her phone will ring, and I'll be like, "Hello," because she'll be like, "Answer that." And I'll be like, "Hello," and she's like, "Hi, this is so and so with the FBI. Can I speak with Kelly, please?" <laughs> I'm just like, "Yeah, hold on one second. Yeah, yeah and they want to have like, meetings with me to help these these yeah. women and so, that are yeah. you know being trafficked, and it's, it's just like, and it's like, and I'm like, "Oh, Kelly, it's the FBI." Or before I'd be like, my God, it's the FBI. FBI. Let's get out of here. And you know, just, so it's just awesome how um, how God is using my past, and that if if I didn't go down that road, not that I don't think I don't think God wanted me to be an addict or wanted me to leave my kids mm-hmm. like that or whatever, but He's using my bad choices and my my sin and my um, mistakes as. What what the devil meant to harm me, he's using it for good and for his glory and to help yeah. other people. 
And, and I and I get it, and we both we get to talk to other um, addicts and people going through what we are going through, and and um and and things are just happening that are just it's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy how good things are. Now. And so and, that, and that's what's awesome too is like the people that don't doesn't or that don't know that we've been to prison, and then so like I said, we're always open with it. Like we're we're pretty open with everything about our past and all that. So when they when they think that, and then they find out that you have, then they ask, well. How are you this way now? And then we you know what I mean? And then you're going to be like, well, yeah. it's nothing that we've done. You know what I mean? It's, it's, not it's absolutely yeah. anything that we've done. It's only by the grace of God that, that we're even here today. Like, I look back on, I think about times, like she was saying, she had knives in her head. And, and I know instances when guns were pulled on me and the gun just didn't go off. And Crazy. And I mean, we look back, so yeah, times. we look back on all this stuff. I mean, like, and that's not, I mean, that's seriously should have been dead. Yeah. And then now that, we look back on, and we, we come up with, like, little memories all the time because we're like, God, man, how did we make it? And then we know, like, well, yeah, there's a reason why. God was and, there the whole time. And so as someone listening to your story, I can see God's hand on your oh, life through the oh, whole process. The whole thing. Probably when you felt like you were so far away from mm-hmm. him and you he probably didn't care about you. Yeah. Is that how you guys feel about your life? Absolutely. Yeah, looking yeah. back, I knew God was there the whole time. And and looking back, like, when I thought, like, he hated me and this and that, and he was just um, there the whole time. And, and I, I recently talked to my daughter, and she's like, I just, you know, I'm mad that when you when you asked God for help, he helped you. She says, but I've been praying for you every single day, and he didn't answer my prayers. And I'm just like, he did, Sydney. You know, he really did. He kept, he, he kept me alive. And, um... And he watched over me this whole time, and like the times where I should have been dead, like I wasn't, mm-hmm. and um, and it's and it's so sad, but like things are turning around. Uh, I mean, just the, talking the to my daughter with, was just a, a miracle. Absolutely, and, um, and what's awesome about that is now she's going to college to be an addiction counselor, be an addiction counselor, and to get into that life. Well, what's what's awesome about that is that. She doesn't understand the testimony that God's working in her also. Yeah. Because people can hear our story from our point of view. But Could hers, you imagine her point of view? Yeah. And and she's still she's still angry and, and we're working through it. But she's like, you know, I want to be an addiction counselor mom and I want to go with you. And I want you to tell your side of the story. But I want them to hear my perspective too. Yeah. Of how you hurt me and how you hurt my family. And, and I think that would be so powerful if you for, don't think, yeah, for God. women to think twice about, you know, Relapse is is right there, and and you can destroy these poor little kids. Yeah, you know? yeah. And that's a, that's a miracle in itself. That oh, um, the relationship is changing with with her too. Like, but God's working in. I can see yeah. God working yeah. through everything. Yeah, and, doing <laughs> and you know, even changing like my family, like um, from not really being believers into like seeing. Hey, she's tried every other rehab and no human power could have helped her and now mm. just seeing that that this is god and i think that it's going to change a lot of their hearts yeah. oh for sure yeah. so real quick i want to talk about um kelly you talked about some of the you lacked self-worth mm. and respect and then coleman you carried this weight of this this man's life being lost and kind of those struggles that you had mm-hmm. Now being a Christian, how does that play into your life? And how is God, you know, working through those emotions and those feelings? For me, um, and the enemy works hard on those areas. Mm -hmm. He really, really does. Like, 
he, he, especially with the um, the prostitution and the, the the shameful things that I did, like he'll bring those memories to my mind, and I really have to. That's when I really have to quote scripture over my life, like no, 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 that's that's not mm, who I am. That's good, yeah. And um, mm-hmm. and I really have to, um, you know, just there there's times where it's hard but there's times where i just you know i do i do I quote scripture over my life i'll pray it out i'll watch things i'll tell him and and i'm not that person anymore and the biggest thing though that helps me is to help other girls mm. and i talk to other girls and i say you know i've been where you're at and and you never ever have to do it again you yeah. never have to do it again and you're clean and you're new and god renews you mm. and and i truly believe that he has restored me renewed me mm-hmm. and and the thoughts that the enemy wants to put in my head like uh, god i can take them captive and i can cast them onto yeah, god and that's why and i have to do that a lot but it's instant for me it's in the power of just talking to other women and talking to um people that have gone through the same thing and just being like hey i get it i understand yeah. i've been there but there is hope and this is the way this yeah. is the way to do it yeah i mean our pain only has value when we are willing to use that to help others. Absolutely. Yeah. And he Perfectly won't waste said. it. God will not waste that pain. No. Yeah. Nope. Not at all. Mm-hmm. And so with me, like, um, that, that weight will never go away. Like that, 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 well, the weight will go away, but the, the memory of it won't, mm-hmm. but the weight, I mean, he will lift it for you. And so knowing how God's love is like, and understanding it now and realizing that, it did happen for a reason and and even though no matter what i've done that he still loves me like he still he still has a purpose for me so the same thing like all that all the guilt and 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 shame and and heaviness from that reality if if i sit there and dwell on it and let it go and and don't give it to god and don't let it go away and don't and don't do something to make sure that maybe somebody else don't go down the same road, then it probably would weigh me down and, and knock me back into feeling like worthless again. But yeah. but once once I realized and once I understood like the purpose that my life has now, it, it makes it a lot easier. Like the, the helping mm. others and and knowing that that I can cast it on to God, like she said, and and it lifts the weight off of me. Yeah. Well, I can tell you as someone from the outside that your testimony is impacting so many people. I mean, we've shared your story at church before and mm-hmm. yeah. um, every Sunday I watch you guys and you're just, yeah, you would never know that you guys have the past that you have because you're so joyful and mm-hmm. warm and engaging with people and loving with people. And um, it's just from my perspective and hopefully for the people listening, it's really neat to see how God is using you guys yeah. for his kingdom. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Um, real quick. Do you think, um, so do you think redemption is possible for people who might be listening, who maybe are struggling with addictions or going through other life controlling mm-hmm. issues? Um, you think redemption is possible for them too? Absolutely. Like it's never too late. Like it's never too late to just to get down on your knees or just look up and just ask God for help and he will help you. You call on him and he, and he will help you and he can redeem anything. He yeah. can he can do if he can do it for me and I mean I was the I was the worst. I mean, I don't think that there's probably another woman that that's done I mean, they're probably they've done a lot of things, but I've done almost everything and if he can redeem me, he can redeem you yeah. in, at any time. 
you can do it. Yeah. It's never too late. That's really good. So I've thought about this question a lot, or like this this whole thing of redeeming and and are we good enough, even in our worst state. And this was a big deal with me. And I know that in this church, like we touch on this a lot about us qualifying and, and God's love for us no matter what. And like when I think about it and <clears throat> I think about God's love, like there's there's people in this world that I would absolutely die for. There's people that I would absolutely give my life up for in a heartbeat to save theirs. But there isn't anybody that I would give my child's life up for. And mm. I would not give sacrifice my child's life for anybody. Mm. And to know that God sacrificed his child mm. when we were lost, broken, addicted, Sin. sitting in solitary in a car with a needle in your arm, no matter where you're mm. at, his love is true, faithful, and and there for the pouring out. I mean, yeah. that 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 act alone, sacrificing your son for the sake, yeah, for for, you. for me, for you, is should be enough for you to know that you qualify. Mm, wow, that's really good. So, if there was one thing that you wanted to leave the listeners with today, what would that be? Um, for me, it would be to just to never give up and it's never too late. And no matter how far you think you've gone, um, there's a way out. And, and the way out is just by surrendering and just yeah. giving it to God because he'll take it. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I would say along the same lines that if there's one thing that I would I would want somebody to know is that it's real. It's it might not happen the instant that you want it to happen, but God's working it. And there's no situation, there's no, there's nothing you can do that's too bad for Him not to want you mm-hmm. in His kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like she said, if you surrender and and pursue Him, He, he will always meet you halfway mm-hmm. and get you. Yeah. And you know, Satan, Satan is so real and... Uh, he wants to keep people in bondage and on drugs. Um, but the good thing is that God is way bigger. Yeah. And uh, and when we know that and when he, when we know that he's already defeated him and, and Satan shudders at that. Mm. And, you know, I've seen a lot of evil things out there in my addiction. And now that I have been redeemed, like I've seen so much good and mm. so much just just awesome things. Yeah. But it is real. It is real, and it's uh, it's it's possible. Mm. I think we're living testimonies yeah. along with everybody else. Yeah, that's that's in the church, and I mean it's real. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Coleman and Kelly, thank you for joining the show today. Thank yeah. you so much for having us. <laughs> awesome. So as you got to hear today, Coleman and Kelly had a very different lifestyle than they have today. Once they were living on the streets, they were addicted to drugs, they were stealing and committing all sorts of crimes just to make money in order to get the drugs that they felt that they needed. Then they both ended up in prison. Coleman for uh, manslaughter and Kelly for many, many uh, degrees. And they were both in jail for many years, but God got a hold of their lives and started working in their lives in prison And afterwards, they ended up reconnecting, getting married, and now they are just such healthy and thriving people that 
I know and love, and I'm sure after hearing their story, you probably do too. Today, you got to peek into the story of two people who went through a difficult season, away from the best God had for them, but God saw them, he knew them, and he loved them. He drew them out of the darkness they lived in for so long and made them a new creation. If you're wondering if God would redeem your life, he would. In fact, he longs to. Next week, we'll have another story of redemption that will no doubt encourage and motivate you. Thank you for joining me today and sharing your time with the three of us. If this podcast is something that is ministering to you or you think others might find it interesting, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. By getting the word out about this podcast, more lives can be impacted by these stories of redemption. You can find more information about me, read weekly devotionals, and find out what I'm doing around the web at www.brittanyrust.com. See you next time, friend.